March 18th in self-isolation. Weird times we're living in. Weird times. Okay. We're up. Greetings once again uh, from someone who is uh, just like hopefully the rest of you, isolated in my home with my cat and my my producer lady friend. It's been a heck of a week, eh? Holy cannoli. Um, don't really know what else to say. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, having you guys around is uh, nice. But things are okay over here. Uh, I've been working at home all week, so that's been a nice little shift. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, <laughs> I got a funny email the other day on Monday that someone from my office tower now has been uh, considered a positive case. So we'll keep, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. But, you know. No matter which way you slice it, this is a pretty weird thing. Like we we go out on walks to keep ourselves sane, uh, going you know around here, just little quiet walks in the neighborhood, and all you can really say is just how crazy this is. It's just how bizarre this whole thing is. You know the 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 multifacetedness of it and the you know everything there. But it's 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 wild. This is a wild time, um, but. We all need to hold on together and and get through it because it's not going to be a forever thing and it's going to be going to come out stronger on the other end just like we always do, right? Human beings? Anyway, enough about that. We're not about that life right now. We're here to talk hockey. Uh, Even though there's no hockey going on, I've been watching plenty. The good thing about my line of work is that I can go... um, That I can go to... um, Wow, I forgot what I was saying. A bit of a headache. Uh, <clears throat> any, anywho, <laughs> it's funny you just forget what you're saying in in five seconds. Anyway, uh, but oh yeah, I was gonna say it's fun to to sort of be able to go back and and watch archived games and everything and 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 catch up and get the tracking work done. I heard rumors out there that the that they might that the NHLPA. I guess that's not a rumor. The NHLPA put out a notice about pushing the draft back uh into later this season or this year i guess i should say in 2020 into like september october i mean if that means that i get more time to put videos out then good cool i'm cool with that but uh preferably would like to do it in june i mean personally it would be it would be nice to but i have no idea what's going to happen i don't think anyone knows um we don't even know how long this is going to take in terms of things starting to get back to normal uh, you know, we just had one NHL player diagnosed and it's been about a week, I think. They, the NBA announced that they were canceling or postponing their season literally as I went on stream. So, you know, now we're a week in and only one NHL player has tested positive so far, but it was just recently announced that some Nets players in the NBA had tested positive And, you know, maybe in another week we might have a better idea of exactly who in the hockey world is is involved in this um but long term i guess we'll see i mean i i'm hopeful that that things start to get back to normal uh 
obviously relatively quickly, but I'm not an expert and I'm going to wait until the news comes to me. Uh, there's a lot of people playing health expert out there um, saying what they wish were the case, but I don't know. It, I don't think I don't think world leaders want what's happening right now. I don't think the NHL wants what's happening right now. Um, for all the talk about all the corporation stuff and that's out there, I don't think these people want to lose the money that they've been losing. Um, so I guess we'll have to be patient. But in the meantime, you guys can come here every Wednesday and, and fire your questions at me like you are now, uh, and that won't that won't change so long as I'm around. So we're 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 here to stay. Um, that looks crooked. There we go. That's better. That's that's straight. That line on my ceiling is a little bit crooked. Anyway, that's better. Okay. Uh, so let's get going on these on these on these cues on these cues, so I can give you your A's. Anyway, um, <clears throat> hi Will. Hi David. Good to see you again. Uh, have you tracked Topi Nimala? Do you think he has offensive upside or does he project more as a smooth skating defenseman who can defend and move the puck up the ice? He's rising in a ranking. Yeah, Topi Nimala is one of those guys who I think a lot of people are kind of overlooking. Um, not because I think that he's like this phenomenal player that no one's watching, but just because he's uh, flying under the radar quite a bit. He's He's a tough one to really get a good read on in terms of you know where he should go in the draft and all that I mean when I look at him play um he's playing on a really good team but not necessarily from what I've tracked of his uh not necessarily the the best um not necessarily the best shot generator he was a bit of a surprise to make his team out of out of camp I've only tracked three games of his one of them was really really good the thing about Topi Nimala is I think he's going to be a real meat and potatoes two-way guy. Um, not a tremendously aggressive shooter, but he's a reliable passer from what I've seen. Um, you know, not, doesn't do anything too crazy. Doesn't doesn't take too many risks. Uh, you know, he's kind of a low, like a low, low like a high floor, low ceiling type of just minutes eating guy. I don't think he's the physical type of defenseman down the road. He's more of the breakup transitions, kind of get your stick in the way. Um, I do like his skating. He's really, really fluid. Not the quickest skater, but he can get around the ice efficiently enough against pro hockey players in Finland, which is not a not a joke. Um, he's going to be a guy who's going to be a couple of... Uh, he's going to be a couple of years away, but I think that if you're patient and, and slowly ramp up his minutes and and slowly work your way towards maybe him being a second or third pair sort of possession driver type of player, um, then maybe you got something there. But he's not one of these guys that, like, there's a ton to write home about him. Uh, I'll pull him up here. But I do think that he is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Like, if he starts slipping down the draft, I have him ranked in the 30s. If, if he starts... Uh, if he starts falling into the late second, early third, then maybe I could see it. Um, but he just seems like much more of a defensive suppressor, and and that's about it. Um, but I have seen brief flashes of more, and he could be one of those guys who generates points by virtue of his point by by virtue of his puck moving, um, by being as reliable as he is. But I'm not totally sure that that there's enough there where I'm sitting there going like this guy's a first round pick and ever, no one's talking about him. Um, but but, you know, 
Late second, early third is around where I'd start thinking about it because I'm pretty sure there are people ranked higher than 38 on my list that are going to be there throughout the second round. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, all right, let's uh, go back here. Da, da, da. Sparky God Colt. That's a good one. Sparky God. I haven't looked at any mock drafts since February and I've noticed a huge stock increase in Jake Sanderson and Jack Quinn. Can you let me know what has led these what led to these guys' stocks rising so much? Uh, good use of the word stock, by the way, especially in these trying times. Uh, yeah, so Jake Sanderson had a bit of a coming out party at the USHL Top Prospects game. Take that for what you will, but it seems like the momentum around him basically got, you know, shot through the roof uh, as soon as that game happened. I do think that he's he's going to I've I've kind of relinquished myself to the fact that he's very likely going to be drafted well before I would do it. Uh I you know look, I like him. And the thing I've been saying about Jake Sanderson is that when you when you look at how he plays the game, you have to evaluate how much value that style of play has. Uh I don't see a particularly uh, ridiculous offensive defenseman here, but he's I, he's gotten better and better as the year has gone on in that sense. His bread and butter is stopping transitions, stopping play, playing defensively, turning pucks around. Um, and he's one of these guys who every single time I watch him, uh, I see the appeal. I get it. But he's one of these guys where I'm going, okay, I see it. I see what people are seeing, but I think people are... People are seeing what they don't often see in young defenders, especially ones one his, his his at his age. He's very young for this draft class. I think people are seeing things they don't see in in, in young defenders, and he's really good at it. But the rest of the game, I'm sort of sitting there going, okay, like, and then what? You can stop play. You're a good skater. You can make a pass, and then what? You know, there, there, there's not a, a tremendous amount of skill there. There's not a tremendous amount of foot speed. His mobility is fine. His gap control is what's really, really good from what I've seen. Um, and maybe I'm just watching the wrong games. His numbers have gotten better and better as the year has gone on, for sure. Uh, but, you know, considering where he's being ranked now, I just don't think I can get on board with him any earlier than around 20-ish. And I'm seeing people putting him 10, 15, and with the kind of momentum he has, like, it's funny how in the NHL draft or any sort of, uh, I guess, any sort of voting mechanism, so an election or in this situation, like a draft where you have to pick someone, uh, just like when you vote, it's funny how political parties and prospects and all this stuff can sometimes, when they have late surges, can can continue that surge through the actual vote or through the actual draft. So someone who reminds me like that was uh, always Matt Duchesne, who was a guy, uh, Tyler Sagan was another one, who continuously kind of rose through the year. Those guys were really, really, really ranked high. Um, but but they're all they're those kinds of players where they were kind of lower down the list early in the year, and then they kind of rocketed up, and then it kind of became expected they were going to be top picks by the time June rolled around. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of momentum around Jake Sanderson, and momentum often carries you into the draft. Philip Broberg is another good example. Moritz Sider, last year, they had a lot of late momentum, especially post-combine, that kind of threw them into that top range. And I think Sanderson could be one of those people. Um, I don't think I would fall for it. Not that it's 
you know, you'll probably get yourself a good top four defenseman out of him. Probably a good minutes-eating guy who you can rely on, and that's great. But if you're talking a top 15, top 20 draft pick in this year's draft, there's a lot of high-octane offensive talent that I think when you look back, you might wish that you had, and that's kind of where I felt. With Jack Quinn, you just can't ignore his production. That's really it. I mean, similar to Seth Jarvis, but maybe not on such a high level, Jack Quinn's production just keeps continuously being ridiculous, especially his goal scoring. I'm skeptical. Uh, again, a guy who I'm pretty sure is going to get picked earlier than than I would pick him. When you look at him versus someone who... Uh, the thing that I've been saying is, like, look at him versus... I can't pull up his data right now, but look at him versus, say, a Nick Robertson. Nick Robertson is, I think, a week older than Jack Quinn. Um, and when you have a player that's a week older and available in two separate drafts, they both are goal scorers. They're both offensive players. They both sort of are the same size, similar mold, I guess you could say. When I watched Nick Robertson play last year, he was really mind-bogglingly good. A player that I just would not, I could not believe he fell as far as he did. I think a lot of people couldn't believe it. And there were reasons for it, but, but it got a little nutty. With Jack Quinn, a player who's a, year, a week younger or so, you have a guy who, uh, I'd have to look. Let me just pull up Nick Robertson's numbers um, in my other sheet here. Uh, but when you're dealing with a player that similar age, you kind of have to look at them sort of together. You know, if Nick Robertson were a, in Jack Quinn's position and he had the season that he had this year, where would he be drafted this year? You know, and where would Jack Quinn be drafted if he were available last year and had the season this year that he's had? He's on pace for a 90-something point year on a team that is outrageously good. And for a guy who's a goal scorer, he's not driving, you know, he's scoring a lot of goals when he's on the ice, but not driving offense relative to a very, very good offensive team, uh, at even strength at least. He seems to be good at both ends of the ice though, so that's a plus. Uh, he's scoring more on the power play on average than than at even strength, which is fine, especially when your even strength involvement is around twenty six percent. That that's not that's not bad, but it's just going to be a question of where do you pick him? Is it is it thirteenth overall if you have the choice between him and say a player a year younger in say Jan Mishak, who is almost a full year younger? has made the translation to North American hockey uh, mid-season. And yeah, there are some metrics that you can pick and choose and say, okay, he's not performing as well as, say, a Jack Quinn. But you've got a guy who's a year younger and a guy who, you know, in terms of even strength involvement on team goals is higher. Uh, and especially when you look at primary involvement. So his primary even strength involvement is 29%, uh, which is crazy. And Jack Quinn is at 22%. So taking into consideration that this is a player that came to North America midseason to fill a role left by a very talented player from his country, Jan Yannick, um, it's a question of value and how much risk you're willing to take. Do you want to take a gamble on a younger player who still does perform very well, or do you want to, you know, take a look at what you've got right in front of you and say, okay, here's the kid who's further along. Here's the kid who has the more measurable results over a longer sample in North America. He's not a bad hockey player. I know which way I would go. 
but I, I can understand the logic. I wouldn't personally do it, but I understand it. And I think the, the production has continued to stay really, really high, and he's scoring a ton of goals, and that's kind of what's brought him here, to answer your question. But, but yeah, I think a lot of people might be kind of not seeing the forest through the trees, personally. But, <laughs> again, this is, this is all sort of just a take-your-best-shot kind of thing. This whole thing is just kind of shoot-your-shot, uh, and that's just kind of how I, I feel about it. Uh, regarding defensemen, any thoughts on Simon Kubitschek, Luke Prokop, or Jacob Ratzlaff? I know Ratzlaff was a guy I was going to go look at uh, before. I All of those names have been guys to me that don't necessarily move the needle a whole lot. Simon Kubitschek has slowed way down as the year has gone on. Uh, at the World Juniors, I found him to be, I wouldn't say over his head, but kind of eh, eh. Um, and on the other names you mentioned, uh, Prokop, I don't think I've seen a ton of him, um, again, like, you don't like seeing stuff like this, uh, so when he's on the ice, he's, his team is scoring 31% less at even strength, being scored on 27% more, you know, he's getting points when goals are scored on the ice, so that might lead me to believe that he's not getting a ton of help from his line mates, and I know Calgary's having a bit of a rough year, uh, as you do sometimes in junior hockey, but this doesn't really fill me with a ton of confidence. Um, I would want to defer to the guys who've seen him play. I certainly wouldn't be jumping at the chance to draft him really high. Uh, by that, I mean top three rounds, wherever my, like he's unranked on my list. Uh, my average ranking list doesn't have him either. So might be some uphill battle there for him, but I would probably need to see him play more to to really judge. Uh, and the other one is Jake Ratzlaff, if I'm not mistaken, who isn't showing up right now. So we'll give that some time. Um, but all three of these guys, I don't think are from my eye guys that really move the needle a, a, a tremendous amount for me. Uh, at least not not without really watching a lot of them and maybe tracking some data. But there's usually the guys that I track are guys that stick out from a data perspective one way or the other and trying to project from there. Because I feel like when you look at the data first, it gives you a decent baseline of what to work with. And again, in the case of Prokop, this is really promising, for sure. 32% primary point involvement when goals are scored on the ice. That's great for a defenseman, but they're not happening very often. So he's probably driving the bus as much as he can, but this isn't this stuff isn't particularly promising, really. Um so I guess I guess we'll have to see, but the the you know there are some numbers that are in his favor. Um, <clears throat> Tony Tony Ferrari, the best name in the game. What's up, Will? Oh, you know, self isolating. Been a good time, nice and relaxing. I guess I guess you could say. Uh, are there any Ethan Ethan Blian Blian Ethan Blian Blinds Ethan Blinds. Are there any overrated, any way overrated prospects in your opinion? Uh, like overrated in the sense of players in the draft? I mean, if we're looking at 2020 eligibles, um, <clears throat> if we're looking at 2020 eligibles, I, I'm not totally sure off the top of my head. I mean, again, it goes back to what you value. I personally think that if someone is ranking Jake Sanderson, say top 10 or top 15, that's really pushing it. I wouldn't say like way overrated, but that's definitely overvaluing parts of the game that I think 
you're gonna you're gonna you know that might be kind of I don't know not not where you want to swing in the top 15 personally I've seen it happen before uh with with bigger sort of more defensive defensemen getting drafted really really high I don't know um but in terms of guys that I think are are really really overrated uh ugh, let's see here <clears throat> I mean I'm not the biggest Braden Schneider fan that's me I just don't really see the appeal I think when things get ramped up and ratcheted up, he's going to have a lot of trouble getting going. But especially considering he's similar to Jack Quinn, is very old for this draft class. Um, I I would have a hard time sort of getting in that in 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 that area in that frame of mind. Um, <clears throat> who else is in here? Uh, I have questions about Tyson Forster. When you look at guys who show up really well on a stat sheet, I have questions about Tyson Forster. Um, in terms of what what value he actually brings long term, um, you know, I find that the trend seems to be bigger players who are okay skating around the ice more so than a lot of big players, uh, and who use their size to their advantage at the level they're at. So in junior hockey, when you're six foot four, it's really really hard to get you off a puck just by virtue of your size, especially if you've got decent hands and you can skate okay. But it's really hard with that much weight on your on your body to get yourself up to the point where you're, you know, an electrifying NHL high-octane player, which you kind of need to be these days. You, you can't really get away if you want to be a successful NHL team with being slow or being, you know, too focused on just maintaining possession of the puck um, or, or anything like that. Even an Evgeny Malkin can really motor around the ice and play with a lot of skill. You know, you kind of need those things, even if you're a big player in the NHL. Uh, and that's kind of the trend that, I, that I've that i noticed every year, it, it seems. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, it, yeah. The, in terms of other players that I think are overrated, there's a few players that I've been tracking that, that are ranked relatively high that I think might be, when you consider the range they might get drafted in, might be a little bit too high, uh, it, it, really really too high personally for what you're you're getting but we'll we'll get to that uh any thoughts on recent free agent signings cameron lee and brandon byro i've been a big fan of brandon byro for sure um he was a guy who i had tracked not tracked like data wise um but but just had on a data sheet in 2016 the first year i did this and i was always kind of curious as to why no one was talking about him um you know, I always thought he was a good, skilled player. Sorry, I'm just pulling up his data here, so I'm not looking at the... Um, so, Brendan Byro, and the other one is Cam Lee. Right? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, the thing about both of these players is that they're at the age where you really need them to sort of hit the ground running and get going. Um, I really like Brandon Byro's skill. I think it's a nice low upside pickup for Buffalo. They're trying to do the the Pittsburgh thing here by landing guys that that they can just sort of plop in the lineup and see what happens. And if it works, it works. And I could see Byro being a decent role player. Um, you know, keep in mind he's going to be, you know, 22 turning 23 next year. So if he doesn't make the team out of camp, you know, you might have a year or two to to sort of get your legs going under you in the AHL. And then it's going to be, a, okay, let's let's get her moving here. Um, but his numbers are pretty good. I mean, he's putting up, I'm looking at them now, 
His defensive catalyst percentages are positive on a team that that seemed to be decent offensively in Penn State. Um, overall, his his data is good, but at his age and as far along at his college career as he is, good is probably expected if you want an NHL deal. Um, I've seen a lot of NCAA guys that produce well and have good metrics just not work out in the NHL. I think Byro is one of those guys who I've always liked. He's always caught my eye watching Penn State. Um, but you never know until the guy hits NHL ice, especially after what's going on right now. You have no idea what this lapse might be, even though for a college player who was very close to finishing his season anyway, you know, who knows what where, where that would come from or who knows where he would be going from here in terms of his training and everything. It might not be that much different. Um, so we'll have to see. Cam Lee, on the other hand, he shows up nicely in terms of data, in, in terms of the data. Um, really good primary production for a defenseman. Uh, good catalyst percentages. Really good defensive suppressor. Uh, really, really good one, actually, at that. Um, you know, he's a good pick, I think. And he went to the Bruins, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, the Penguins. But yeah, his his data looks really, really good. But again, he's another one of these guys where he's, what, 23 now? Um, I believe. So he's 23. He just turned 23. So, again, another one of these guys where you might get a year, two years in the AHL to really show what you can do, which is what his ELC is. Um, and you never really know. Uh, wow, Jean-Sebastien Jaguar is his uncle. Um, but I, 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 there's nothing to complain about with his with his data from there. I haven't seen Western Michigan play uh, I, last I checked, they weren't the best, uh, program out there. And I wouldn't often see that program in my data work. Uh, but in terms of the data itself, he, he looks like a pretty decent pickup for the Penguins. So we'll see, uh, who knows? They, they seem to know what they're doing with drafting or, uh, picking up NCAA defensemen considering John Marino being John Marino this year. Um, next, uh, Che Guevara nine. Hi, Will. Stay safe, my friend. You too. You stay safe as well. Lego Rocks. Ah, my boy. Gio Palermo. Greetings. Hi. What? Oh, boy. He's headbutting me. Um, awesome to have more media to consume while isolating. That's Yeah, that's a good thing, It's it, in a sense. Uh, thoughts on the supposed best draft prospect, Alex, Alex LaFerriere. Alex, what am I saying? Alex Laferriere. Um, boy. Uh, well, he's, he's slowed down a bit as the year's gone on. Um, uh, I remember taking a look at him a little while back before the new year. Wasn't particularly blown away. Um, always felt like, and the data shows this, always felt that he was more one of these guys that shows up on a stat sheet on the power play a lot. Not much of a play driver offensively. Um, you can tell he's competent defensively, but it also does indicate, you know, he follows this trend where there might just not be a whole lot of, a, 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 of help on his team in terms of his line. Um, so he's scoring a lot of primary points when goals are scored. It's just that they're not scored a whole lot. Um, so that might lead me to believe that all things being considered, he's doing an okay job. Uh, but this is still a very low number Two even strength goals per 60 is not ideal. Uh, and that's a net negative of 25% relative to his team. So not great, but when points are, when goals are scored, he's getting his points. Uh, a lot of involvement overall, but not a whole lot of involvement at, at even strength. So that's about mediocre. 
that leads me to believe that there's a lot of power play points there, um, which is a questionable thing. But from what I've seen, he's a good all-around offensive guy. He works hard. I'm not sure where I'd pick him. I have him ranked 108th. I don't know if that's going to, you know, if he's going to get bumped out of the ranking or not. I, I will probably need to check in again on him. But yeah, just again, one of these guys who I don't really, when I've seen him play, moves the needle a whole ton of a lot. Um, Jesse Barre, did you watch any of Kako's last games after moving? He looked a lot better. Uh, no, I have not. I honestly, with all the tracking work and all the video work lately, I haven't really, and also some stuff with this place, uh, I have not really had the time to watch a ton of NHL hockey, let alone the Rangers. I mean, I hope he's looked better. Uh, because when I saw him and did the video on him, didn't look great, uh, in a way that was legitimately troublesome. Um, so I hope that things are going well. Uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I, he has the capability of being an extremely good hockey player. You know, he went second overall for a reason. Um, and, uh, sorry, I'm just pulling him up to see if, you know, the numbers and the results he's driving actually have improved. Um, But yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, it's... It's been okay. So, just looking at HockeyViz, which is my, my analytics bible, you know... I'll, th- it's still over the course of the whole season, still not great. Towards the end, like you said, he was getting a lot of offensive zone starts. A lot of them, uh, which drove his play positively more, which is good. That's probably a good thing. Um, but he was still not, like, there's one stretch in the year here where he's pushing shot differential positively, but most of the trend is is a bit iffy. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not, it just wasn't a good year for him. I don't think overall, if this is the end of the season, I don't know what happened. I really don't, uh, really looked like he lost a step, really looked like he was way weaker on his feet than before. Maybe you're right that he looked a lot better near the end of the year, but I kind of hope so, you know, and I hope I mean, he wasn't even being used in tremendously difficult situations here. Um, maybe a little bit too much defensive usage first, uh, but I'm just not sure. I don't know. It's obviously he's 19. He's not. He's not finished. But this. This is. It's not. It hasn't been good for him over the course of the whole year. I think he wants to figure out a way, and the team will probably want to help him figure out a way to move forward. Um, like you can't, you can't be getting results like this, uh, in the NHL long term. you know, even if his last few games looked a little better personally, that, 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 that's just me. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Mathis Desjardins. No, let's close that. Uh, hey, Will, Anton Lundell or Tim Stutzla? It's going to be Stutzla for me. Uh, Lundell will have, we'll have to chat about him in a, over in there in the in that chair uh in the coming weeks hint uh Stutzla the same we'll have a chat about him here but I would take Stutzla every day of the week 
uh, over an Anton Lindell, I think. Um, just, I think Stutzla has the potential to be one of the more electrifying players in this whole draft. Again, one of those players that when you look back in five or ten years, if he's not gone in the top five, I'd say, which he probably will be, you look back on it and go, boy, that's a player that I wish my team drafted because he sells tickets, he's a lot of fun to watch, um, and he's legitimately good at both ends of the ice, in my opinion, and based on the data that I've seen. You know, maybe he's a year away from the NHL, but either way, I think he could be an absolute bombshell in the NHL. Anton Lundell, we'll see. I'll I'll be in that chair talking about him soon. Uh, who will be the better of Pod Colson or Hoaglander? Well, you hope Pod Colson because you drafted him in the first round. Uh, and the word better, I always try to flag the word better because it depends on what you mean. Um, there's a chance that over his career, Hoaglander puts up more points than Pod Colson. There's a chance. Uh. But there's also a better chance that Pod Colson is a more admirable player at both ends. Um, you know, I know that that <laughs> my video on Pod Colson was the first one to really take off, and it was a bit of a feather ruffler for some Canucks fans who believe that I think he's bad uh, and that my reactions were bad when he was picked. My thoughts on Pod Colson were that you're you're looking for something out of him that you know it's it goes back to that when you watch him play i adore his work ethic but he works so hard that there's there's not much else there he's he's working hard to get pucks back when he doesn't have them great he's working hard to move out of his own zone and into the offensive zone with the puck and, and under control great but it seems like his his feet were moving 40% faster than the rest of them and that and and when you scale things back and he maybe takes a step back and 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 slows his game down a little what happens then you know wh- where does that go he's been good this year he's had a very very good year following up after la- after last season uh his tail end of the year once they started playing him with Kirill Marchenko and Ivan Morozov has has been good um he's one of these players who i think similar to a guy like Brady Kachuk you can drop him into the NHL he knows how to play he'll figure it out and he's going to be a guy that coaches are going to love. What value does that have? I don't know. I, I said in the video that him being a middle six, electrifying energy winger, kind of like a Brendan Gallagher type of player, a guy who just goes out and works his tail off every single shift, gets to dangerous areas, can make plays in those dangerous areas and do all that. I think that's a that would be fine to add. Um but it was just a question of who's on the board and what what amount of risk you're willing to take. But he has been good this year. And with Hoaglander, skilled until until the end of days, he'll have as much skill as you want. Um, all the offensive upside you'll ever need. Uh, flashy, flashy, flashy. But again, beyond that, there are question marks. In his own end, I sometimes he disappears. Uh, his numbers defensively have not been good. His even strength possession numbers have not been great. Uh, and I think that he has tremendous amounts of potential. He should have been a first round pick. There's no doubting that. Uh, but if he goes, you know, down the road of, I want to score points, might be a guy that becomes an AHL player that just can't crack the NHL. You know, Canucks fans. 
you look at guys like Sven Berchi or Nikolai Goldobin, guys who are really tremendously talented players. You can see it, but they never, ever stick. And when they do stick, they don't stick for super long. I think Sven Berchi should be an NHL player, and assuming he was healthy the whole time, he probably would be, uh, and, a, and a good one at that. But guys like Goldobin and all that, they, they, they're the guys that the data guys and stats guys and, and prospect people always love, and they might just not be able to crack it. I think it's still worth the risk to take those players, for sure. Um, and Hoaglander was no different. But he plays such a, in such a way where you kind of wonder where it's going to take him without rounding out his game a little bit. And when he rounds out his game, how much of that offense is going to suffer? I, I still think that he is going to be a very, very good offensive player. The rest of it is going to be what needs to sort of round itself out. Um, Jordan L. Let's hear about Danny Gushin. He was highly ranked going into the season, but seems to drop. I mean, people dropping him are not paying attention. Uh, Gushin I, 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 is one of these guys who he's small, but when I watch him play... I, I, I don't see why people wouldn't think that he's going to overcome his limitations. You know, same thing with Bobby Brink happened last year. Not on the same level. Like, I had Bobby Brink in the 10 to 15 range. Goose Chin I have at 27, and I don't really see him moving much further down. Sorry, up, I, I, I should say. Down, maybe. I still need to watch more to, to really refine things. But what I've seen of him has been impressive. Remarkably impressive. Uh, really, really skilled, does not shy away from, from battling for pucks when he doesn't have them, uh, good at breaking up transitions, you know, really skilled, really smart playmaker, not afraid to shoot, but also not afraid to make a pass, you know, just a really, really well-rounded, all-situations offensive player who is no slouch in his own end. People who are writing him off, if he's available in second round, if he's available in the second round, and you have, say, Jake Sanderson out of the first round, you're laughing if you if you take a chance on Gustin, I think. Um, you know, I think it's entirely possible he's available in the second round, mostly because he's five foot eight and a winger. But he's one of these guys where I'm not really concerned about his size being an issue. You know, if he was five foot ten, which is I don't know, what's two inches? The remote control here that I'm holding, is that about two inches? If he were this much taller. Let's do this. If he were this much taller, he might be a solid first-round prospect. Like, is this really what denotes the difference between a player going, you know, first round and mid-second round or something just because of two inches or so? He he works hard. He has a ton of skill. He can score. His even strength involvement percentages are the high among the highest in the draft at over 31%. 32% for, for primary points at even strength is crazy high. Um, and he boosts goal differentials at both ends of the ice so everything with the data looks really really good with him and whenever i've seen him play i've been impressed so this is a player that i think has got a lot of talent um and his average rank right now is 41 and if he's available in that range go nuts i guess is what i'm is what i'm saying um (laughs) brian hi brian tell me about tutnev oh well, it's really hard to get a really good read on him uh, because he plays so little. Um, I mean, Loko Yaroslavl is one of these teams that seems to just 
load up on the best talent in the region in Russia. Uh, <clears throat> but so here's the thing. So let I've tracked three games of his. He's on track. I, I have games listed to track for him, so he'll probably get to the full seven. Um, and so what I've seen out of him. So in the three. So okay. So here's one thing that sticks out. Through the three games that I've tracked of his, they've played uh, Almaz, Sharapovets, uh, Riga in October when Riga was one of the better teams in the league, uh, and SKA 1946. He's playing eight minutes, just over eight minutes at even strength in a game, not getting a ton of power play usage at all. Uh, and he has his when he's on the ice, his team is scoring seven goals per 60 minutes at even strength, which is enormously high and likely will come down the more I track. But that's still hilarious. That's about... That's about 25 minutes of even strength play. Uh, and they've scored three goals and been scored on once. Uh, his passing numbers are good. Over 80% completion is really, really good. He's a, you know, I wouldn't call him super skilled, but he's very, very re- resilient. Oh, that was hard to, he's very resilient. So when he gets knocked around on the puck, he does creative things to maintain possession. He, he uses his teammates effectively. Uh, he does show nice flashes of skill. He's a real long-term project, and I don't know. I have him on my short list for the sixth round, I think. So if he's picked before then, I can see maybe why someone would take the swing on him. I don't think I would as long if it wasn't a flyer. But similar to someone like an Arseny Gritsiak last year where I watched him play and tracked a bunch of games and came away pretty impressed, even though he wasn't used a tremendous amount, uh... I can st- I can look at that and go, you know, if he's available 6th, 7th round, I'll take a swing. The Devils took a swing on him, I believe in the 5th, which you know, makes sense for sure. Um I have Tutniev ranked, I think. Uh yeah, so I have Tutniev ranked in the 3rd round range. I think that, you know, but that's only because I and I only say 6th round because I feel like that's where he's going to be available. Um, and usually my ranking list, you know, usually all 111 names are gone by the time the draft is over, but you know, when it's 60th overall, 70th, 80th overall guys who are in my top 50 are often still available. So sometimes I might not even get to a guy like Tutniev for a chance to, to add him to my roster, quote unquote, but I could see an NHL team seeing what they've seen with him and, and liking what they've seen and, and, and deciding to take a swing on him. Um, mostly because of his resiliency and, and his flashes of skill on the ice. And, and you know what? In each game, he's he's averaging 15 passes to the slot area every 60 minutes, which is really, really high. Not the highest I've seen this year, but for a guy who might be available in the fifth, sixth round, that that's pretty solid. You know, in two of the three games I've tracked of his, he has three passes to the slot. And in those two games, he's played a total of uh, 14 and a half minutes. So, you know, every about four shifts out of him, you're getting potentially a scoring chance, which is pretty good, I would say. Like a legitimate playmaker's scoring chance. Uh, and couple that with the fact that it looks like 44, 43% of his shots are high danger, like his own shots. Um, he controls 70% of the high danger shots when he's on the ice. Two of the three games, his opponent had zero high danger shots, but I think that might also be just how good Loco is. Um, but I, I do like him. Uh, oh, I lost my spot. Here we are. Um, 
what's your take on Jack Finley? Worth a pick in the third or fourth round. What do you like most about his game? So, you know, I like Jack Finley. I saw him at the top prospects game. He puts up good numbers overall. I'm not totally sold. I'm not sure the mobility is there. He's got a nice long reach. He's got good skill. He's got a nice release on his shot as well. I've seen him score some nice goals. I get the hunch that he's one of these guys that teams take in the second round or something uh, just to take the big center who has good defensive suppression ability. Um, You know, maybe he's one of these guys that turns out to be an NHL player for a long time that just kind of fits in on a team's bottom six, fourth line, you know, win a face-off. It's just a question of what, 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 what importance does that have in today's game? Personally, not a player that I'm really focusing on adding early in the draft, but I have him ranked 82nd, so higher than a guy like Tutniev. If he's available in the fourth round or so, I might start thinking about it. I think there's a high, I think there's both a, a, there's a high ceiling or a a low floor and a high floor for him in a way. Like I'm kind of questioning his mobility, but I also think that his defensive ability and his intelligence away from the puck, his ability to cover the ice can lead him to being a useful sort of defensive player first. Um, But he's also a player that I certainly have wanted to track all year. I have an immense list of players that are on this list that I, that I want to take a look at. I've seen him play. I've seen him play in person. Uh, it'll just really depend on where he's available in the in the draft on, on draft day. Uh, Jordan M. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I know the I know that name. I'm aware. Have you noticed Cam Berg while watching Muskegon? His stats are good since joining that team. Yeah, um, he's really good. Uh, one of the players that I think is pretty undervalued. I think that, you know, when I've seen him play, I wouldn't jump at the chance to pick him super early, but I definitely see him as a sort of under-the-radar type of player. Was really not much of a factor with Omaha, a team that, in my experience watching them, has had tremendous amounts of time, of trouble, I should say, scoring points or wow they're a team that in my experience has had a tremendous amount of trouble generating offense guys like Rhett Pitlick weren't really working out there uh Cam Berg also wasn't really working out there you know these more high octane players seem to have trouble in Omaha and whenever I've seen Omaha play there are they want to play more physical from what I've seen they really like to grind games down they really like to get a little bit nasty um push push opponents into doing things they don't want to do and that's not really my brand of hockey and when I see someone like Cameron Berg leave and come to Muskegon and actually show up pretty well not necessarily something that that surprises me when I've seen him play um would I use a really high pick to pick him no but if he's available later on and 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 a lot of the guys I do really really like are gone he's one that I certainly would take a swing on uh, you know, similar, maybe not on the same level, but similar to, uh, Matias Michelli from last year kind of guy, a guy who I felt, you know, if he was available a little bit later on, I would take a swing on him and see what happens, but he wasn't available later on. Arizona snagged him up, uh, before I could sink my teeth into him, but Cam Berg, not the same level of player at all. 
but a player that I would be happy to take a look at long-term and, and, and let develop in the NCAA. Because I do think that with his skating and his uh, aggressiveness on the puck and, and his ability to score, that there's a lot to like with him. Uh, Glass T-Cat. How do you feel after the draft is done? Do you get excited to start fresh with a new batch of prospects or do you feel kind of disappointed that the year's over? That's a really good question. Because uh, this summer was really weird in that sense. So this past summer... The draft happened, live streamed the whole thing, raised a bunch of money. It was a lot of fun. Um, it wasn't a disappointment. There was a lot of confusion. Like, immediately after the draft was over, I started researching the names that I didn't have on my list that that got drafted. Uh, I started looking at uh, more tape of players that I couldn't... Um, more tape of players that I didn't get to see a whole lot during the year... I have a lot more access to video now than I did last year uh, for a multitude of reasons, which is great. Uh, But in terms of going back and actually watching a lot of these guys play a lot more than I had already seen, um, rounding that out and then putting together the 31 team series that I did, which I'm going to be doing again this year. uh, Once that, once I shot all those episodes and edited them and then put them up on YouTube just to tie like schedule their release, I was pretty much done. And I knew I wanted to take some time off and I was on vacation with my family for a bit. Um, and it was just, there was a lot of confusion, I think, cause I didn't know what to do with my spare time. You know, like I would sit on the couch and not necessarily try to find out stuff about prospects the next season. Cause I definitely need to give my brain a break in the off season. That's just kind of how my brain works. Um, the Holinka is kind of when I start ramping things up. Uh, but yeah, it's not necessarily a disappointment. Um, I have data on players available in next year's draft that I tinker with and play around with and see if there's anything that I might be missing. Um, but yeah, eventually that goes away once the Holinka starts. And then especially once November, December happens, that's when I'm really sort of firing away on, on, on all cylinders. And since I'd say since the World Juniors, it's basically been nonstop go 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 every day um and we're getting to the finish line i guess maybe um but in the meantime yeah it's in the off season it's a little bit strange i guess i would say because uh, there's a lot of work and then it's like gone once the recaps were done this year i do think that what i'll do is what i did okay so this year what i think i'm going to do before next season is what i did two years ago when i started the channel which was looking at every team um and their whole prospect pipelines, I guess you could say. I tried to do every team in one video, or every team in two videos, split in half. I don't think I can do that. Uh, that's that's just way too much editing work. I don't think my computer can handle it anymore. Uh, not that it's old, but I just don't want to put it through that stress anymore because I loves it. Uh, but doing individual videos per team, I think, would be a, a good thing to do in you know i'd say september all things depending on what's going on right now and what the what the situation will be later this year uh with the whole quarantining thing mathis desjardins is jack quinn underrated or overrated narrative changes depending on who you talk to i gave him 40s right now but i'm considering moving him into my late first early second you can't argue with his production and his goal scoring and when i've seen him play it's not like he's just standing at the top of the face-off dot and shooting the puck into the net that's not how he does it. Um, he's but but I always am concerned with play, players that score a lot more than they assist. 
And that gap has closed as the year has gone on for him, which is promising. But I think that in terms, it depends on who you talk to. So would I take Jack Quinn 15th overall? Probably not. Would I take Jack Quinn 35th overall? Probably. I would think about it. But anywhere in between there, you would really have to make that push to convince me in that 20 to 30 range. Like if if someone like Jeremy Poirier were available, for example, and I'm picking 22nd, and Jack Quinn is the guy that, like let's say my scouting team is going, no, I want Jack Quinn. No, I want Jeremy Poirier. I side with the Jeremy Poirier side. One, really good defensemen are hard to find, especially really good offensive defensemen. Two, he's riskier, but he's also a lot younger and plays on a team that I think just as a whole doesn't know how to play as a team. He's a large part of that, but either he gets, maybe he gets traded or maybe once he leaves the QMJHL one day, things maybe start to change slowly. He's a player you're going to need to be really patient with, I think, especially as fans watching him play, maybe as a young hockey player in the league. But the talent is insanely high. The potential is insanely high. It's just a matter of risk. I see what the people who want, who would want Jack Quinn there would be saying, but, you know, he's a lot older. There's some, I would say, caution flags when you look at his data uh, in terms of if he is one of these top 15, top 20 players this year. I just am not sure I buy it. First round pick, you could convince me, you know, like after around 25, I would say is when you could really start to push him, depending on who's slipping, who's available ahead of me, or who's available at the pick, we'll see. But definitely as the second round gets going, if he slips to that range, I could see it, but I don't really see that happening considering the momentum he's got, um, and considering that he scored 52 goals in 62 games, that's that you can't really argue with that. I just, you know, might question it a little bit, uh, especially when you factor in his age. If he were, say, six months younger or eight months younger, then maybe I would be a lot more excited, but he isn't. Not not really. So, I don't know. It depends on who you ask and what you're looking for, I guess, to answer your question. Uh, what do you know about Ethan Cartwell? Born in August, ranks 18th in shots per game in the OHL. Uh, point per game player since joining Barry. Yeah, I could absolutely see him being a guy uh, that breaks out. I posted a... I was watching um, a Cole Perfetti game early in the year, and Cardwell and Perfetti played on the same line for, like, a minute. And Cardwell really, really stood out. He's an excellent skater, uh, really good hands, really good on his stick. I need to track him, for sure. He's a guy that uh, that isn't tracked yet, so full disclosure... I've only seen him play when I do some Barry Colts work that I've seen or that I've done uh, in my own time. He, but, but Ethan Cardwell is a player that I think really, really stands out in terms of what he could be. Um, I have him ranked in the third round. He's a guy that I could maybe do that, do that in, in the third round and just get him so no one else does and see what happens. You know, once you get into the third round and later, most guys don't work out anyway. Um, so depending on who's available, Cardwell is a guy who might be a guy in that third fourth round like especially because we were just talking about jack flint jack finley you know which way do you go do you go with the less mobile uh defense first decent offensive player uh in jack quinn or do you go with maybe a riskier higher octane good skating center who can cover a lot of ice has a great set of hands on him 
uh, and and really when given a bigger role with Barry, uh, kind of spread his wings a little bit. I think that I think that I would take the Cardwell bet, which is why he's ranked higher than Jack Finley, for example. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see where a player like Cardwell goes because he did improve so much with Barry. Um, I I'm higher on him. I've been I've been having my I've had my eye on him for a while, uh, and I'm curious to see where he goes in in the draft for sure. Um, Tony, I saw a question from you as well. Man, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of you tonight. Woo wee. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's your take on Hayden Fowler? Uh, I don't know. Uh, again, he might be another one of these guys that I just don't think moves the needle enough right now for me. Um, I've seen the Erie Otters play quite a lot. And to me, Hayden Fowler is one of these guys that sticks out a little bit, but never like on a consistent basis. Um, his involvement percentage was at one point in the early 30% percent in the early 30%. And it's kind of regressed back to about 20, 22%. Well, it's 22.22%. It's literally right in front of me. Uh, so it's regressed quite a bit lately. His scoring rates are okay. Like below average. He's an offensive negative relative to Erie. Um, just a guy that I don't think moves the needle a tremendous amount. He was a guy that it was on my watch list early in the year. The more I watched of him, you know, I, I, between guys who have similar statistical profiles, I was looking at him next to, uh, Brady Burns, who is a center for the St. John Sea Dogs. And he's also kind of regressed a little bit in terms of his production, but he's driving play better at both ends relative to his team. St. John is not a good team at both at, at, in their own end whatsoever, but he's still better than they are as a whole in terms of giving up goals. Um, his scoring rates are a little bit better. Uh, you know, he, his involvement percentage is a little bit better. It's about comparable. And I find that Brady Burns skates a little bit better, which is kind of what always gives me an edge for one player over another is how do they skate around the ice? Hayden Fowler, I think, is going to be a good junior player, but I'm not sure about pros. Brady Burns, I think, if St. John can start to figure things out, might be a guy, along with a guy like maybe Josh Lawrence, who starts spreading their wings a little bit more, using their mobility a little bit more effectively, um, working with their teammates more effectively, uh, and, and getting better that way. So, yeah, just a guy that I don't think moves the needle, but again, I'm I'm not saying that their future you know, nobodies. I just haven't been convinced in my experience and I'd be more than happy to be wrong. Uh, last question from David. He just keeps, just keeps spamming me. Gonna bring down the ban hammer. Uh, do you have Tristan Robbins, William Dufour, Adam Raska, and Jacob Dion ranked? All of them but Raska. I don't, I don't know what Raska's thing is. I've seen him play a few times, never been blown away. Uh, I really like Tristan Robbins. And I know that Joel Henderson really likes him as well. I'm a huge fan of Tristan Robbins. Just if he were, he's one of these guys. If he were this much taller and on a team that wasn't this bad, he would be a lot better. And he's a guy that I just am realizing now I have ranked way too low. That should be a higher number than 71. Um, I've liked him every time I've seen him play. He's on my list for tracking. Uh, he pushes play incredibly well on a team that isn't great. You know, it's not all coming on the power play. I think he's legit. Um, and again, another one of these guys that a smart team might pick up in something like the second round, and it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. 
Uh, I do really, really like him. Uh, William Dufour, I think, is a high floor guy. I think he's a good power forward, skates well, plays hard, good offensive tools. Um, you know, nothing spectacular about him, really. Uh, he does put up good numbers. His, his NHL score is over 20. I have him ranked in the hundreds. Um, a lot of power play points, though, which, you know, counts for something. Um, but he's no slouch. He's a good player. Uh, I think a lot of people might be overlooking him, but considering the way that he plays, I think he's going to be a guy that gets picked on draft day and might become a role player in the NHL that, that, you know, teams are glad to have on an ELC if they're trying to make the playoffs or going on a, on a playoff run. And he's say 22, 23 years old and just one of these crash and bang guys who has a bit of skill to him and, and just plays hard. You know, and there's nothing wrong with drafting that player. It's just going to depend on where you do take him. Uh, Jacob Dion was one of these guys that I was really surprised to see the NHL central scouting list just leave off their list entirely. Uh, pushes play good well at both ends of the ice. Um, when I've seen him play, he's a bit undersized, but he doesn't really need to, need to be really big to play his game. Really, really good in transition. Good skill on him. Can move around the ice really effectively. Um and I, I really like Jacob Dion. He's a player that I think pe- more people should be paying attention to. Uh, and I've really just enjoyed his, his, his just watching him play. Uh, and again, if he's not even on NHL Central Scouting's list, maybe he's a guy that in the sixth or seventh round, you just take a swing on and see what happens. But I doubt, I doubt that, that he'll be left off again because his season has been really good. Uh, Jean-Daniel Boudreau. I don't recognize that one. Welcome, JD. Jean-Daniel. Just wondering what you think about Cole Fonstad, Bryce Kindop, and Gage Gage Goncalves, I think is how he's... I've seen him play. I think that's how they said his name on the play-by-play, but that was a while ago. Is there any NHL talent there? I saw them play live on a line a while back and was impressed. I really like Cole Fonstad. I'm surprised the, 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 the Canadians haven't signed him yet. I imagine they will. He's been good. Uh, very good in in my viewing of him. He's really, really skilled. Originally very, very focused on that offense. So that Hoaglander-esque view of him where it was like offense, 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 a lot of power play points. But he's really rounded out his game on paper at both ends really nicely. He's a positive catalyst player when he wasn't, when he was draft eligible. Um, So he seems to be on the right track. And if he doesn't get a contract from Montreal... He might be a guy that I think you could see drafted again, similar to an Adam Maskerin, and if it's the fourth or fifth or sixth round, maybe you take a swing on him. Um, But yeah, I I think Montreal will be picking him up. I don't see why they wouldn't right now. And Gage Consalves, I do like him. Um, I don't know if there's enough there to really push things positively, but he's a good player. I don't know about as an overager, someone that you're really sprinting to the, to the, you know, to the, to the podium to pick. Um, but you know, he's a good possession driver. Good, good at both ends of the ice from what I've seen. Decent mobility. His skill is decent. Um, and with Bryce Kindop, I think he's older. Um, nope, that's not it. Okay. So maybe not. Uh, he's the guy that the ducks just signed actually, right? I went over him a couple when the Ducks picked him up. Uh, is that him? Yes. So the Ducks gave him an ELC. Uh, nothing really to write home about about his data from from my perspective. Like as an overage player, you kind of expect uh, 
what he kind of did. You know, a 74-point overage campaign, which wasn't that much of, which wasn't an improvement at all over his previous year. Uh, he's a who knows. But of those three, I certainly do like Cole Fonstad quite a bit. What do you think of Ryan Lindgren and how good will Demko be? Would you move on from Markstrom for him? Um, the thing I say about goaltenders is you never know what you got until you got it. And Jakob Mark and Jakob Markstrom, I, this is why every dollar mounts on your, this is why every dollar counts in your contracts. Um, the Vancouver Canucks have spent money where they probably shouldn't be spending money. If you re-sign Jakob Markstrom, it makes it really tough to do deals with, say, a Quinn Hughes or an Elias Pettersson next summer. Um, it's not impossible. It's It might hurt a little bit, considering some of the guys that they're paying a lot of money to. But And you also don't want to sign a potentially injury-prone goaltender at 30 years old for a long-term deal. I don't know if he's going to get a long-term deal, but I feel like if the Canucks are going to sign him, they'll probably want to give him a long-term deal because if I'm Markstrom, that's probably what I want. Um, I bet they go to July 1st with him and and they gauge the market on him. And if they and if but but again, if you're Markstrom, you've given your you've given how many years to that team? One, two, three, four, five. You've given five years to that team, two of which you were the starter, three of which I would say you were the starter, and they want to take you to July 1st. Um, to me, if I'm Jakob Markstrom, that puts them more at the bottom of the pile. But I guess if I'm also Markstrom, I understand that from their perspective, they can't really commit to a long-term deal on me before I hit the open market and maybe everyone else is giving me a long-term deal I just want to stay home. I just want to go to Vancouver and play hockey. Uh, maybe he makes that decision. Um, but again, with Thatcher Demko, he's good and he's and he's getting there. He's a young goaltender, but he's getting there. And, you know, his year this year was, I would say, league average. League average save percentage now is about that 905 to 910 range. And he's right in there. Um, so you have a league average goaltender on an ELC who played a decent amount of games this year. Maybe you, but you can't, you can't hand the keys over to a guy just because the other guy doesn't have a contract next year. Unless the guy you're giving the keys over to has beaten him out for a starter's job, which to me, I don't think he really did in Vancouver yet. Um, But another flip side is what do you do instead? If you don't, if it's not Markstrom, what do you do? Do you go out? I, I don't have a free agent list in, in front of me, but what do you do instead? Who do you go out and get? Because um, I don't I don't really know off the top of my head, especially for the money that Vancouver will be able to hand out. It's, even on a short-term deal, it really depends on who's available. Um, because I don't know. And uh, let me just take a look here quickly. Quickly, and then we'll move on. Um so goaltenders where just a filter for goaltenders uh goaltender update so yeah you're not getting Braden holtby Corey crawford no leonard no you know in markstrom's dollar range you know maybe you get someone like a 
like a Cam Talbot on a one-year deal that's cheap if no one is looking at him. Yaroslav Halak has still got it, it seems, but that's behind the Bruins. Uh, Anton Hudobin seems to just keep saving pucks. You know, you might have to think about it from a per-dollar value situation. Um, who else is in here? Corpusalo's an RFA. Where's Lickens is an RFA. You know, is there a trade that can be made? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, there's always trades you can make, but I don't know. I, I don't think I would be ready to hand the keys over to Thatcher Demko unless he's played a full year where it's him and Markstrom and I'm going... I can't play Markstrom as much anymore. I have to play this kid because he's unbelievable. Um, And I don't think he's there yet. And the worst thing that can happen to the Canucks in this situation is not have a goalie, uh, at least a reliable one over the course of the whole season. Um, But I do like Thatcher Demko quite a bit. So he's a good bet for the Canucks. But I think that beyond that, you're going to need something else on top because I believe their third goaltender that they used this year was mostly Mike DiPietro in an emergency situation. And Louis Domingue? Gonna need more than that, at least right now. So that that that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, and with Ryan Lindgren, you know, like, he's a big defenseman who hits. Uh, he's had a good year. Um, not the type of player that I would jump at the chance to pick up, but for the for for what he is, he's good at it. And and not the type of hockey that I want to see on my team. Not that that not that how he plays is necessarily like a bad thing. It's just, you know, not the prototypical player that I look at, but I do respect how he plays, and I get it. Uh, and you do need players like that from time to time. And he's not like he's paid like $7.5 million a year to do what he does. He's on an ELC. He's good at it. He fits in with the Rangers. He plays hard, hits hard, and <laughs> it shows on the on the stat sheet, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double-check before I make myself look a fool again. And again and again. Uh, website's a little bit slow. We'll let that load. I'll circle back. Oh, there he is. There it is. Lindgren. Ryan. So Ryan Lindgren has played 60 games. Yeah, I mean, this is about what I expected. So not driving offense whatsoever, but he's not killing you in your own end. And that has value. You know, like his, the defense without him is a lot worse. Uh, the PK without him is I believe that's worse. Yeah, I would call it worse. So he's doing the right things in his limited usage, which at his age is fine. And if he never really becomes more than a third pairing defenseman, that's cool. If he becomes a second pairing shutdown guy who hits big, great as well. Um, But in terms of a defensive defenseman, he's done a pretty decently good job. He is also playing with Adam Fox. I didn't realize that. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I know I say that a lot, but that's really all you can say in a lot of cases. Uh, Mathis Desjardins. Vasily Ponomaryov is starting to get some Twitter love again, but I'm not sold. Me neither. I mean, he, at the World Junior Ray, he was great, and I always have said bet on upside. Uh, so let me just pull him up. I, I like him, but he's going to be one of these guys, I think, that gets drafted higher than I'm ready to take him. I have him in the late second round. If he's gone early second late first fine bet on the upside i liked him last year when i caught him in the mhl uh he's good but i'm not sure that he's a guy again he might be another one of these guys that i just don't think moves the needle a whole lot 
um, works hard, has good skill, great shot on him. Just not sure where he goes from here uh, in terms of long-term projection. <clears throat> What's your point of view on Cole Perfetti from Lucky Max? I've seen him all around the top 10 and can't get an accurate read on him where he's going. Well, so the, the, the one thing that I have against Cole Perfetti is that it really seems like he floats a little bit too much. Uh, he can be, uh, at least when I've seen him and tracked him, a little bit invisible in his own end. I'm not sure he projects as a, as a center down the road. He could. He's got the hands and the skill and the patience to do it. I'm just not sure the mobility is there right now. It could be one day. He's not a bad skater at all. I just don't see it a tremendous amount. I have him ranked higher than average at six because I love his all-around offensive game. And he's not a joke in his own end. He's a good offensive and defensive catalyst, which is good. You know, his even strength versus all situations involvement difference is fine, I would say. I mean, but but both numbers taken on their own are ridiculously high. So, I mean, I really, really like him. I have him ranked high. Uh, but I can see the argument against it. But I draft him thinking, okay, we're going to try you as a center, but you've worked as a, as a winger before, and your skill set lends itself to being a good off a very good offensive winger, no problem. Barreling up the wing, cutting into the middle, making a play with your line mates, it's all there for him. Uh, it's just a matter of, of you know, are you going to draft a, super, a potentially high-octane offensive winger that high in the draft someone like a tim stutzla and lucas raymond are up there but they've been wingers through and through you know what you're getting with them uh and and they've just shown at a higher level which is men's pro hockey that there's a lot to like with those players in terms of doing the little things playing at both ends of the ice whereas with perfetti i'm a little bit cooler on the learning curve i would say um so that's kind of where i'm at thoughts on james hardy and tristan robbins james hardy is averaging over four shots a game I like James Hardy, but I really like Tristan Robbins, and we kind of went over him earlier. Uh, Hardy's a guy that I do want to watch more of. I can see why he was ranked so low by the NHL Central Scouting, but uh, he does put up good numbers at both ends of the ice. His team isn't great. Um, I, I, If he's available you know, in the middle rounds, I certainly could see it, especially if he's available in the late rounds, which is kind of where he's been ranked when I've seen it. Um, mostly by NHL Central Scouting, question mark. I like him. Not not sure there's enough there to be something that's tremendously valuable, like a hidden value, hidden gem type of player. Uh, but I do like him, whereas with Tristan Robbins, I think there's a legitimately very, very talented player there who's just gotten better and better as the year goes on and has been, uh, you know, on paper, you know, just really, really good on a team that doesn't have a whole lot going for it. Uh, higher involvement percentage, more points, higher involvement at even strength, you know, um, <clears throat> not as good offensively in terms of goals per 60 minutes, but relative to his team, he's still blowing them out of the water. Um, so that that's important to keep in mind. But, you know, I can see why you would lump the two together. Uh, Ethan, again, thoughts on Edmonton's prospect pool? It's fine. You know, I thought Raphael Lavoie was a good pickup last year. They really didn't need to go out and get a Philip Broberg, I didn't think. Um, I, I don't really thought that. I didn't really think that was the best pick at that range. 
Broberg's been a decent possession defenseman in Sweden this year, but nothing spectacular. Uh, there's a lot of upside there, but a lot of work to do if he's going to get there. Uh, their picks last year were kind of all over the place. Maxim Dinezhkin's been good this year, but he's a D plus two in the MHL on a really, really good team. Like you should be really good uh, at that level. Um, so I'm not not sure where that goes from here. Guys like Thomas Mazura were questionable when they when they picked him. So we'll we'll see. I don't know. Um, let me just pull. Oh man, I keep okay. So Edmonton, Edmonton. EDM. Oh, come on. It's taking a while to load. Um, I'll follow up when it does. Mark Volbeck. I know that name. Hey, Will. Great to have this content during such trying times. Very true. Uh, curious about your thoughts and impressions from tracking of Chinikov this week. Mm. Okay. Uh, this is a, a T-ball T-ball pitch. Uh, Dmitry Chinikov might be the most undervalued player in the draft. Uh way way more production in the second half of the season a better even strength involvement percentage than than total situation involvement which you don't see very often especially not by about 15 percent maybe 13 to 15 percent a catalyst at both ends of the ice oh the edmonton oilers thing just loaded uh oh how could i forget kayla yamamoto my boy uh ethan bear always loved him uh ryan mcleod a big we'll see um tyler benson we'll see but between guys like Bouchard, Lavoie, Yamamoto, uh, Bear, maybe Broberg, um, I like Kiro Maximov as well. I kind of dig him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ryan McLeod's decent as well. Samarukov has been okay this year, but I was never like as big a fan of him as a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like, there are, I'd say it's about middle of the pack for the Oilers right now, which is good. Um, anyway, yeah, with Ochinikov. I mean, I'll have lots more thoughts on Ochinikov once again, sitting in that chair. Uh, electrifying skater, tons of skill. Uh, the, the only thing with him is I think he's very raw. He needs a lot of adjustment and refinement in terms of how he mo moves around the ice. He can, you know, really seem to just be out for a skate a lot of the time in the defensive zone, especially, uh, he can cover for defensemen when they don't need to be covered for, which leaves a giant gap in the middle of the ice. And for a center, you know, like I see what he does a lot of the time. So he'll, if this is the, if this is a rink and the boards are here and the net is here, he'll swing wide. I'll show I'll do this side. So he'll swing wide to a defender up here and then turn and then cut down the middle of the ice this way. And the wingers will then try to find him from the corners. I, you know, it's not the way I would do it. And he has the agility to cut this down into a cut straight to the net instead of having to go all the way around past the blue line back down the middle of the ice. He has the agility to cut straight in. I've seen him do it. So it's just a matter of refining that and, and doing, you know, those basic little things of get to the net, get to the dangerous areas. But that being said, I've tracked five games of his now. Uh, and that's a little taste test of the video uh where is he here uh, da -da -da -da. yeah so i've done five games he has had two shot attempts from low danger areas in those five games he has had uh two four six eight ten 
12 shot attempts from high and medium danger areas. So 12 of 14 shot attempts in a league where everyone shoots it from pretty much everywhere are from the, that, that either that horse, that, that home plate in front of the net, I would call it a diamond. I usually it's diamond shaped in my eyeballs. Uh, but then beyond that diamond out to the face off dot out to the top of the face off circle, 12 of 14 of the, of his attempts are coming from that region, which is where you score from. So, you know, and it's pretty remarkable. So I have three games tracked of his prior to December 14th. None of those games did he attempt more than 10 passes. Uh, all of those games were between 20, between 10 and 12 minutes at even strength. After that, so December 14th and January 4th, he played 14 minutes in both games at even strength and was up to 20 pass attempts in those games. So he was being relied upon much, much more as a quarterback out there on the ice the more the year went on. And that is where I think a lot of his production boosts came from. So uh, I'm looking at it now. 20% of his pass attempts are to dangerous areas. Uh, he's attempting, he's completing about 78% of his passes. And in the two games where he's playing more, uh, it's 81% and 90% in those two games where he's passing 20 times a game. And on top of that, in the December 14th game against Tolpar Ufa, which is one of the better teams in the MHL with Rodion Amirov, uh, Alex Pashin, um, they used to have Semyon Chistikov. Now they have, you know, one of the better MHL. If you follow the MHL, one of the better rosters out there, one of the more high-octane offenses. He had five passes to the slot in that game. Uh, one in the game against Magnitogorsk that I watched on January 4th, but still, averaging two and a half per game is not bad, and getting five in a game is is remarkable. Uh, he also had a 75% shot share against that team that game, so he was an absolute wizard in that game. Um, you know, that's pretty darn good if i if i say so myself so i really like him he's a player i have ranked in the second round no problem he's a player that i've seen people rank in like the sixth or seventh round and if he's available in the third or fourth round that's the player that i'm pulling the trigger on if he's there a smart team i think would be you know, like, there, this could, he and I think Marat Kuznodinov could be two players that I think are the guys that get picked maybe even in the first round that nobody's even heard of, and they go, who the heck is this guy? And maybe it's a reach. I think it would be a reach to do first round for both, for, for at least of Chinikov. I think it would be a reach, but I would not be surprised, and might be a guy that long-term looking back you might think oh we should have taken someone else in that range but i still think that it's going to be worth the risk if you know there are teams in the next 10 15 20 picks that have their eye on him so i really like him he's one of the better even strength players in this year's draft group for the mhl and that by that i mean draft eligible for the first time um and he plays you know he's he's you have to kind of watch him play on youtube as well like just watch him skate around the ice I posted some clips of it. He's extremely good. He's he also uh this is also last thing I'll say about him. Through 5 games, he has, let's see. Uh a total, so let's call them total offensive transitions done with control. So defensive exits and offensive entries done with control. So either he's passing it across the blue line to the person or he's carrying it himself. Per 60 minutes, he does it uh combined so defensive blue line and offensive blue line 
combined, he's doing it 52 times per 60 minutes. So every, almost every minute he's on the ice, you can expect him to have a controlled exit or entry that is positive. Compare that to uncontrolled, he's about, I'd say, 18. So that's 52-ish to about 18 controlled versus uncontrolled, which is as a percentage 74%, which is extremely high. And yes, maybe when things get ratcheted up and defensive systems get tighter to him, things might slow down for him there. But at least you're dealing with a profile that that there is measurable success doing this. And he doesn't do it by skating at five kilometers an hour. This guy can skate. It's really crazy. And he's got good hands as well. So I, I, I think that with enough practice and enough time and getting stronger on his feet, you might have yourself a, a great hockey player. Uh, Jordan L., how are you coping with the lockdown? Did you get a chance to stock up on a few things? If I'm not mistaken, Jordan is a pharmacist, question mark. Um, things are fine. Uh, didn't really need to stock up on a whole lot. Made a giant pot of soup today. Uh, it was funny. I... I it's amazing how people are behaving and I'll be quick with this because this isn't like a society podcast, society show, society show, if that's a thing. Um, but like, we didn't really struggle with getting supplies and like worrying a whole lot about it. But the thing that kind of blew my mind is I was at a Walmart, just, I, I went away for the weekend and I was at a Walmart and it was fascinating to see the difference between what people thought they needed. And maybe it was just different people needing different things. But it kind of blew my mind. And the other day, I had to run out and grab a, l a few things. Um, don't worry, I took proper precautions and was very, very careful about it. But the dude in front of me at the grocery store was buying, I counted, something like 50 cans of Heinz baked beans. Oh no, sorry. 50 cans of tuna, 30 cans of baked beans, 4 jars of ketchup. Uh, what else did he have in there? Oh, six bags of Kicking Horse Coffee. And if you know what Kicking Horse Coffee is, that ain't cheap. Um, but six bags of it, I don't even know how you both blow through six bags of coffee before it gets stale and gross. Anyway, um, it, it rang up to something like 650 bucks, and I was in my head trying to see what meals you would make. And the funny thing is, like, when we went, we would buy vegetables and, and all that stuff. Like, normal stuff you buy, because grocery stores... It would be crazy if grocery stores closed. It doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but when you look at what you have, it's like, well, you could just cook a meal, like cook a giant meal. Then you don't have to really think about it. You can make a giant vegetable soup with, and it's dirt cheap. And no one was touching those ingredients. So more power to you. I take this opportunity to learn how to cook if you can't, because it's a lot of fun. Uh, and the food you make yourself tastes better. And a lot of people were buying frozen stuff. And yeah, we bought a few frozen things. But um, it's been a it's been a weird couple of weeks that makes people think weirdly, for probably good reason. Um, but but yeah, so far so good. I get to work from home, which is nice. A uh, lot of time at night now and in the mornings before I before and after my nine to five to do work on this. Um, you know, it's a nice little shot in the arm in a weird way. Uh, you know, like this weekend I'm expecting, you know, I have enough data and notes to do four videos. So we'll probably be shooting those over the next couple of days. 
and editing them over the weekend. I'm hoping to do enough for shooting more on the weekend because what I would like to do is just start creating a backlog of releases and then over, you know, however, just stockpile them and then judging by how that goes, put them out as, as June approaches. And if the draft isn't until October or September, which is what's rumored or possible, then we might be doing this for a long time, guys. Might be doing this for quite a while. Uh, guys and girls, I should say. Um, Arrakis Warrior. Cool. Love Dune. Hey, Will. Hope you're doing well. So far, so good. Um, wondering how you feel about Luke Evangelista and Daniel Torgerson. Two people I think are under the radar but have decent upside. Evangelista, for sure, is a good player. Um, I, I know that uh, I inadvertently, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, hurt his feelings a little, which I profusely apologize for uh to both him and rob simpson i uh not my finest slip of the tongue saying that he wasn't a a good even strength scorer when most of his points are even strength if not all of them um but he's an all-out offense guy he's one of these guys who scores a lot without you know with and relinquishes a lot um tremendous even strength involvement though Uh, i think it's one of the highest even strength involvements relative to total involvement in the draft you know, I really like his skill. Um, and he's one of these guys, though, that I think when things aren't going his way, he can kind of float into the background and kind of into the ether on the ice, which is where the defensive catalyst percentage might come from. Uh, but I do like him. And I think that if he's available, I have him ranked in the early third round. And if he's available in the third or fourth round, maybe I could see it. I could see a team taking a risk on him in the second round or so on his skill and, and what he's got and his even strength production. Um you know, and it's similar to the Cole Fonstad thing, right? So Cole Fonstad went in the sixth round, and he has a very similar profile, about a point per game. Fonstad was getting a lot of points on the power play, um, so that has points for that has benefits for Evangelista. But he was a net negative player with all that offense in terms of pushing goal differential, which kind of spooks me. Um, but you can't deny the offensive talent and the skill that he has. So certainly an interesting case and one that would need a lot of discussion if I'm talking with scouts and with Torgerson, he's my boy. Um, you know, everyone sort of has their eye on Teddy Niederbach. I look at Daniel Torgerson and go, you know what? If you want an NHL player, like a player who is going to play in the NHL, I think, and is maybe not going to be an elite first line or a second line offensive weapon, but just a nasty piece of work to put in front of the net and just, you know, bang pucks in, but also have some skill and some strength with the puck and can move around the ice really effectively. This is your guy. I love Daniel Torgerson. I think he's really, really talented and not a lot, not a whole lot of people are paying too much attention to him. You know, I have him ranked mid third round. People are looking at Niederbach a lot and, and Niederbach has some red flags with his profile. I really like Torgerson. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and, I, you know, and I've watched him. I've watched all of the time he's played in the SHL this year. Does not look out of place. He's a real mean customer, especially in front of the net. He does not let himself get pushed around, which I respect. Some people think I don't like players who play physically. That's not true. I just need players to be able to play the game, not just be a physical threat. And Torgerson can certainly play hockey. Um and he, and he he's a very very talented player he's scoring a lot in the junior leagues in sweden because i think he's big and strong on the puck has good skill really really good puck protector and you know what if he can keep developing that and keep building strength on his frame and working on it he's going to be a really good player i think long term 
Um, might take a few years to build that strength on his frame, but he's got the natural tendency to do it, and I, I think he's a really good player. Um, good player. Okay, <clears throat> Brian, how much do you think auto- offensive and defensive catalyst numbers depend on being on a good or bad line? Yeah, that's a major caveat of it. It it really also, it does depend on who you play on a line with, um, but it's meant to be, that. that's kind of why I factor in, especially with this sheet that you're looking at, it's why I have all of these things in a column together. So the way that I evaluate this basically, so catalyst percentages do matter, but you can't overweight them because it it amplifies really, really good teams and really, really bad teams. So if you're on a really, really bad team and pushing play by 100%, like say a Tristan Robbins, that stands out in the offensive catalyst number. But with even strength goals four rates, if it's only a 2, 2.1, 2.2, that's not very high. So it means that the rest of the team just isn't doing much. But that doesn't mean that the player's not doing much. And to get an idea of what the player is doing, you can look at individual uh, IPP percentages. So points scored when goals are scored on the ice. So, and this is at even strength. So yeah, with Torgerson, there might be a bit of uh, a, a yellow flag here with a 46% in, in primary points for a guy who scores a lot of goals. But his even strength involvement numbers are really, really high. This is just indicative that his team is scoring a ton when he's on the ice. So he might just slip into the background, but he's still getting his points and he's still involving himself a lot and he is an important role player on his team. So when you see a team or a player with a really high raw even strength goal rate, a player with a really high offensive catalyst rate, that usually indicates that the player is driving a lot of that offense on their team, especially if these numbers are really high. And with defense, defense is really hard to measure. They're, the only thing you can do is look at their their goal rates against who they're playing with and their catalyst rates and examine their transitional play, you know, and see how that works. It's really hard to evaluate from a data perspective, at least with what we have access to, but you kind of have to make your best judgment based on using all of this stuff combined. There's no one thing that rules them all. The only reason I developed catalyst percentage was because I thought goals four percentage was bad and you have to split it to get an idea of what you're getting. The whole point of this is is when you draft a player, what are you getting? And, you know, just looking at goal differential and goal percentages doesn't help you. We don't have access to expected goal differential, Corsi percentage, whatever. We don't have any, we don't have access to any of that. So you can only work with goals, which sucks, but it's all you can do. But it also means goals are the point. If you're on the ice and your team is scoring a lot more goals than when they're not, or when you're not, or you're getting scored on a lot less when you're on the ice, that's still a net positive result. And it comes from somewhere, so it's worth looking into. So it's important to keep all of that in mind. Um, and the best thing we have is goal percentage. So I broke it down into... How much of that is coming from when they're scoring and how much of that is coming from when they're being scored on? So with Evangelista, that's a great example where there's a ton of scoring going on, but you're also getting scored on a lot. And maybe that's your fault as a player, whatever, that's cool. But it's worth looking at considering the offense, even though when you put them together, it's a negative. So that's kind of my read on it. And that's the main, the main purpose of it, I would say. Projection for Kako next season. Boy, really like Capo Kako. Uh, projection for Capo Kako next season. Just be better. Um, you know, he needs to get that foot speed back. 
He needs to get that strength on his feet back. He needs to he needs to get back to that player in Finland that he was. I don't know. I don't know really what else to say. Uh, but you cannot have results like he got in the NHL long term. It just isn't. It just isn't. It's not good enough. Um, so whether it's his fault, David Quinn's fault, whoever you want to blame, I don't know. But next year, he's got to be at the very least a decent, even strength offensive player, and at the very least a competent defensive player at even strength because. He had all the foot speed in the world last year to to play decent defense. He wasn't the best defensive player, but he wasn't this defensively poor in Finland last year. Um, but again, still very young. Just an improvement. Show that you can, you know, play at even strength. Show that you can keep up with play. And show that you're willing to engage defensively a lot more than he was already. I don't know what was going on there. I get the feeling that based on the words that he said and David Quinn said uh, that there was a mismatch and that that Kako was hearing things from David Quinn about how he should be playing that he took in the wrong way or or it wasn't really conducive to his style of play and it just showed that he was a step behind in the in his own zone. But the Rangers aren't going to just let him do what he's doing forever. They must be having some sort of planning system in place to get him back to where he can be because he is a very talented player. Uh, Jasper Johansson. Hey, Will, how are you doing? Fine. Uh, What would your top five be in this year's draft? It was based solely on ceiling. Oh, boy. Uh, Well, uh, based solely on ceiling, I would probably say Byfield first. Hot take, perhaps, but Byfield first. Uh, Lafreniere, Rossi, Stutzla, um, and I would say Drysdale instead of Raymond. But that's like, I like upside, I value upside really, really highly. And, and, uh, I try to use data to, to, to help me with that and the video work that I do to help with that. Um, I think Quinton Byfield has a tremendous amount of upside. Treme- tremendous amount of upside. Uh, Lafreniere, he's already at a tremendous amount of upside, I think. Um, and in the NHL, I think he's going to drop right in and be a very, very good player right away. Uh, and he's only going to get a little bit better for the next couple of years. Uh, he may be a little older for the draft class, but at the end of the day, I think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, Marco Rossi, again, similar to Lafreniere, pretty old for the draft class but i think that he's still got a lot of upside to his game in the nhl uh, especially as a great two-way center um you know with tons and tons of skill tons and tons of offensive ability no slouch in his own end uh just just a really really crafty two-way guy uh which is going to be i think a player that that whoever drafts him the fans are going to adore uh I, I just also to go with the swagger that he's got on the ice he plays with with an attitude almost and and it's just you know he's one of these players that i you know will clip out almost every time they're on a shift there's something that's happening that is a positive and rossi's one of those guys and then the other guys i mean stutzla i think has a ton of potential as a scoring winger uh and drysdale best defenseman in the draft um really really good at both ends of the ice you know good puck mover i would say that he might be a good positional sort of 
cerebral type defenseman with really, really good mobility rather than maybe an offensive player that scores a ton of points. Um, you know, not necessarily that Morgan Riley type rushing offensive defenseman, um, but, you know, or like a Quinn Hughes type of rushing offensive defenseman, but just a good stable puck mover who can play defensively competently uh, and turn play around really, really well and produce points pretty solidly. Um, and I think there's a lot to like with a player like that. Um, okay. Thoughts on Vitaly Kravtsov as a whole. You know, I, I was a bit cooler on Kravtsov when everyone was really rating him really, really high last year. Uh, I thought that as a good skilled offensive trigger man, he's pretty good at it. Uh, I thought he was drafted pretty high, frankly, but I do think that as a, as a second line, maybe first line scoring winger with a lot of skill, uh, he certainly could do it. Um, but there's more to the game than that. And, and I think that with him adjusting from the KHL lifestyle slash KHL pace of play straight to the, uh, North American leagues was a lot. And I, he might just be the kind of person to get down on himself and, and think that there's something wrong with him. I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't know anything about this situation, but he really seemed to struggle immediately. Uh, they weren't giving him the best chance to play a lot and get over it with Hartford. Um, he went back to the KHL still was slow and not the same player really. Uh, but you know, it might just have been an off year and this happens sometimes it's hard to come back from. Uh, but again, with the Rangers, similar to Kako, they either have to look their development staff and, you know, their development staff either has to look themselves in the mirror or their AHL coaching staff or whoever, and really examine what's going wrong with these guys and really examine what the future is. Because I don't think that the scouts messed up those picks, personally. Um, but there's something about translating those guys to North America for the Rangers that seems to be uh, troublesome. So whether it's a lifestyle thing uh, or a on-ice thing or what, they, they just need to take a look at it. Because Kravtsov is, is too good of a scoring winger to be a nothing. And Kapokako is just too good of a of a offensive force to be a nothing either. Um Jesse, again, what do you think of Jim Benning as a general manager? Well, uh, he's dang- I think he's dangerously close to being past his time. I think that the game is passing by very quickly every year. Uh, and with the free agent signings he makes and the, you know, I think he's very focused on right now, what do I need? You know, right now I need a scoring winger. So I'm going to go out and get Tyler Toffoli because we're going to make the playoffs. Right now I need a defenseman. So I'm going to go out and pay a bunch of money for Tyler Myers. Future problem, who cares? I need big, strong bottom six guys. So I'm going to go out and get Jay Beagle, Tim Schaller, you know, Brandon Sutter extension, blah, 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 blah. It's just he gets an idea in his head and he gets it one way or the other. Now, they didn't give up a tremendous amount to get a Tyler Toffoli. I thought Tyler Madden was a lot, but it's not like if Tyler Toffoli can, if he resigns or, you know, I mean, it sucks with what's going on now, but in an alternate universe, they play the rest of this season and maybe he gets them into the playoffs. Maybe they go on a little tiny run, but, you know, you gave up a potential future piece in Tyler Madden that you might wish you had. Um but I think it's just he's that kind of a, of a manager where it's like, here's what we need, and I'm going to go out and get it. Here's what I think we need, and I'm going to go out and get it. Um, he drafts pretty well from what I've seen. The Uwe Levy pick was a question mark one, and it was kind of odd. 
I thought there were better players available, at least higher ceiling players available when they took Pod Colson. But that's not the end of the world. I think Pod Colson's going to be a fine player. Um, and guys like Hoaglander, oops, and guys like Hoaglander was a good pickup. Uh, I think they've drafted okay. Um, better than average, I would say. Uh, Quinn Hughes, great pickup. Pedersen, banger. Uh, Besser, banger. So there's evidence for a good track record here, but it's like, it's the, it's the, when he gets to the point where he thinks that he wants his team to be better, how he gets his team to be there, I think would, is considered reckless would be the word I would use. Um, and it might not be the worst mop-up job if he does get fired or if he quits or whatever, it might not be the worst mop-up job for whoever replaces him. Um, but you know, this, a lot of these things are self-inflicted, uh, and potentially problematic when guys like Pedersen and Hughes need extensions, not the end of the world, but it just, all these things make life, make life a lot harder. Um, how does the D crop from 2021 compare to 2018? Obviously no Darlene level guy, but there seems to be a lot of good guys like power Hughes, Bellavo and Lambos. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's no one I would say Darlene level. I mean, I've really liked Isaac Bellavo. I don't, I wouldn't put him that high. Luke Hughes is extremely talented. I really, really like Luke Hughes. Uh, Owen Power, we'll see. I really like watching him play, but I want to see more of him next season as well. Uh, Brant Clark is another one. I think Brant Clark is, if you like the... 